how very much I've loved you. How very much I've tried my best to give you the good life. He said, Jesus himself said, the Son of God. In this law, he said, dwelleth all the law and all the prophets. Childish manner, Scott and I impishly danced around his body before he was dead. Just strangely enough, it was a rush, a teenager's rush. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah! Hey there, strangers. Welcome to another episode of Strange Talk Podcast. Uh, how are you folks doing? I'm sorry for the delay in the episodes. Um, you know, sometimes time just time keeps on slipping, slipping. Into the only reason why I know about that song is because for my birthday, my family took me to go see the movie Space Jam, so that's where I know that song from. Anyways, uh, back to the task at hand or the cases at hand. Hey, mine, I'm all jumbled. Um, so I apologize in advance in this episode because I'm probably gonna be sniffling a lot because I am unfortunately suffering from allergies and um, it is is just me sniffling, um, sniffling back them boogers. <laughs> and it is in no way due to my addiction to cocaine. Um, but <clears throat> so I have three cases for you. I originally had um, I originally had uh, um, two cases, uh, but because of the fact that um, one of them was actually a lot more shorter than you know than I intended, the episode wasn't going to be as long. So it still might be a shorter episode, but I don't really care. As long as I get something out here because I make you guys wait enough. So I recently on Instagram at Strange Talk Podcast, I recently, you know, got quite a bit of new followers. But I think that has to do with something that is out of my control. So um, if you're new to Strange Talk Podcast and you're liking it so far, thank you for sticking around and staying and listening. Um, Welcome. Welcome. You are part of the Strange family. Um, but, um, I'm trying to look it up exactly. I don't know if it's still available on my Instagram. I know it's not, unfortunately, but there was a, a entrepreneur, or I totally fucked up that word, an entrepreneur and a author. And I don't remember his name. I want to say it was Josh Nell. It's not Josh Bell. It is not the guy from fucking Nickelodeon's, whatever that show is called, Drake and Josh. Or no, that's actually Drake Bell, not Josh Bell. Is it? I don't know. I don't even fucking know, but who cares? Um, but anyways. So there's a person on Instagram who's an entrepreneur and an author, and apparently he was starting his own podcast with a friend or a brother of his, I, I think, or I assume, and he happened to uh, tag his podcast, which his podcast, which I honestly, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I think you should probably change it. Yes, you may be a little bit more famous than I, but I probably started my podcast way before you did because he's he was making an announcement on his on his Instagram that he's going to be starting a podcast and lo and behold by some weird coincidence which it is just a coincidence hopefully it's not like I'm important enough for them to be like oh we're going to jock that fucking guy's style no but he is calling his podcast strange talks podcast strange talks you know with an s and I am strange talk podcast so uh he happened to accidentally tag my podcast so i started getting a bunch of more followers 
because I'm only assuming that they thought I was the podcast that he was referring to. So I sent him a message and he said, yeah, um, thank you for pointing that out. And he changed it. So now it does say Strange Talks Podcast and it does take you to his Instagram page for his podcast. Now, the only thing I am worried and I'm probably just overthinking it because I tend to do that um, a lot. I tend to overthink things. Um, I am probably thinking that in the future, he's probably going to, you know, tell me like, hey, uh, you should probably change your podcast. And I'll be like, no, I was here first. So technically you change your podcast. And then he is, then he just proceeds to just sue me or something. And then, <laughs> but anyways, like I said, I was overthinking it. But if you came from that person, because you assume that I'm associated with him, I'm just here to say right now and right here that I am in no way associated with that guy, Josh Neal, I think his name was, I'm not associated with him. Um, I did comment on the post, however, but I just was being stupid. And I just said, um, Spider-Man's pointing at each other meme dot jpeg i was just something stupid i don't think anybody liked it and then i started getting more followers from that so i think they assumed that i was associated with him but again if you came from that entrepreneur and that guy named josh Nell, i believe it was his name or josh hall i don't really know but all i know is he's on his fucking bio it says um uh, entrepreneur um author and a uh, creator or something like that but I'm no, I'm no way associated with him. So um, hopefully you enjoy the content that I do provide. But we'll see what the future holds for Strange Talk Podcast. Not Strange Talks, but Strange Talk Podcast. So having said that, let's jump into the cases that I have for you. I have three cases for you. And the first case that I'm going to be starting with is going to be of... The, well, actually, what they call it, we're gonna we're gonna be heading. It hails from this from overseas. Um, well, I'm in California, so it hails from overseas in the UK. And this one is called the Babes in the Woods Murders. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so uh, here we go. The Babes in the Woods Murders were the murders of two nine-year-old girls, Nicola Fellows and Karen Hathaway on October 9th of 1986 by a 20-year-old local roofer. His name was Russell Bishop, Russell Bishop in Brighton, England. But, however, the case takes a weird turn because Bishop was actually tried and he was later acquitted back a year later in 1987. And this case remained open for decades. And it wasn't until 2018 when it was finally solved. So let's dive right into the case of the babes. In the Wood Murders. So I submit to the Midnight Society. The case of the babes in the Woods Murder. Anyways, Nicola and Karen were best friends who lived close to one another on the Musselcombe Estate in Brighton, but attended different schools. At around 3.30pm on October 9th of 1986, the two returned home from school before going out to play. At around 5 p.m., Susan Fellows saw her daughter and Karen playing with a roller boot. Um, for those of you that don't understand um, British slang, a roller boot, I'm sure you can figure it out, but a roller boot is basically a roller skate. They call it a roller boot. The last time she saw her daughter alive, that was the last time she saw her daughter alive, is when she was playing with a roller boot. Remember, it's a roller skate, folks. Fun things you learn from Strange Talk Podcast. <laughs> okay, so when seen by a 14-year-old acquaintance near a parade of shops in the Luz Road area, the girls were told to go home as their parents would become worried. 
Nicola reportedly told Karen, come on, let's go over to the park, referring to, referring to Wild Park, where they were not allowed. At around 6.30 p.m. in the evening, the girls were seen near a police box on Lou's Road. If you're not sure what a police box is, it's basically a telephone that it's, it's basically a telephone booth, but set up mainly for police, um, so police can use it. And if you're a fan of Doctor Who, that's also where you've seen it, too. <clears throat> Um, so at around 6.30 p.m., the girls were seen near a police box on Lou's Road, where Bishop was also seen near and wearing what appeared to be a light blue top. On October 9th of 1986, Bishop had gone to Nicola's house to speak to a lodger who lived there. Nicola told Bishop to go away and called his teenage girlfriend a slag. When the girls failed to return home by their bedtime, their parents panicked. Karen's mother, Michelle, made a 999 call, which is the UK's equivalent of the 911. A search party of around 200 police and neighbors was organized, and a helicopter was brought in to help search Wild Park. Bishop joined the search, claiming his terrier, Misty, was a highly trained tracker dog and insured for £17,000. I'm not sure what the equivalent of that is in the US currency, but I imagine it's a pretty good sum. The bodies of the girls were found in Wild Park, unfortunately, in Musselcombe, in the north of Brighton, by searchers Kevin Rowland and his friend Matthew Marchant, on the afternoon of the 10th of October of 1986. The girls' bodies were found hidden in a makeshift den in the park. An autopsy revealed that they had both been strangled and sexually assaulted. Bishop fell under suspicion due to his close involvement in the search. When the bodies of the girls were found, Bishop was close by and ran towards the scene when a, with a police officer. However, the constable recalled that Bishop did not get close enough to even see them properly. Bishop's story was littered with inconsistencies. He told detectives that on the evening in question, he had gone to Musocombe because he intended to steal a car from the nearby University of Sussex campus. He also claimed he had gone to a news agent to buy a newspaper, but realized he had no money. So why would you still want to go if you know that you had no money? That's where the inconsistency come in from. Yeah. Bishop also told detectives he planned to see his teenage girlfriend that evening, but failed to turn up because he bought some cannabis woo, and went home instead. He also tailored his story to fit the evidence, claiming he had felt the girl's necks for a pulse after finding them dead to explain any potential exchange of trace of evidence. Due to the series of inconsistencies, Bishop was arrested on suspicion of murder on October 31st of 1986. Now, here's some information on Russell Bishop. Russell Bishop was a petty thief and jobbing roofer. He was well-known around the Musselcombe estate in Brighton in 1986, where he lived in the Hollingdean area of the city around one and a half miles from the two young victims, Nicola and... What's the other name? I'm such a terrible person. Nicola and Karen. <laughs> Nicola and Karen. Um, I'm terrible with names anyways. Despite living with his pregnant partner and young son, he had a reputation as a ladies' man with a string of girlfriends, some of whom were still in high school. At the time of the murders, he was having an affair with a 16-year-old, Marion Stevenson, who lived around the corner from Karen and Nicola. He would play football and cricket with Barry Fellows, Nicola's father. Bishop's friend Dougie Judge lodged with the Fellows family at the time of the murders. 
Judd knew both pairs of parents and warned Nicola and Karen to stay away from Bishop because of his clear sexual interest in young girls. His teammates recalled how he had a habit of wolf whistling, or catcalling, at schoolgirls when they walked past and stare intently at young girls in skirts, doing handstands. There were suggestions that Bishop encouraged local teens to appear in homemade pornographic films that were passed around to men on the estate, but it was never proven as fact. It was simply just rumors. A former friend of Jeff Caswell, who used to go fishing with Jeff Bishop, with Bishop, not Jeff Bishop, but with Bishop, who's Russell Bishop, described him as a habitual liar. Caswell said he was a typical, he, oh, I'm sorry, I have to say this in the proper most way I could say it. Caswell said, he was a typical lad around the town that time. He'd grown a mustache and he had this car he'd race everywhere. And he was always telling lies, trying to big himself up. He was only around 5'5 five, five tall and weighed around 8 stone. And I think he suffered from little man syndrome. He was always telling porkies about this and that. And he, he was also a thief. He'd break into cars and he'd steal stuff. He had been a roofer but was no was going nowhere really. He also said Bishop was wrongly arrested on suspicion of involvement in the Brighton bombing. I have no idea what that is, but let's find out. The Brighton Hotel bombing was a provisional Irish Republican Army, or IRA, assassination attempt against the top tier of the British government that occurred on October 12th of 1984 at the Grand Brighton Hotel in Brighton, England. Okay, so that's what it was. Maybe I'll do an episode about it. Nicholas' father was also a suspect. Barry Fellows was also a suspect, and they were arrested in 2009 at his home in Ellesmere Port, Cheshire, on suspicion of rape and conspiracy to rape his deceased daughter before her death. Douglas Judge was also arrested for suspicion of sexual offenses. A spokeswoman for the Sussex Police said the investigation into sexual abuse allegations was unrelated to the ongoing murder inquiry, however. No charges were brought against either man, and they were subsequently released. So, you know, it's just a crazy media frenzy at that point because everybody's pointing fingers at possible suspects. But everybody seemed to be keen on Russell Bishop as he was a known pedophile. I think I don't think he was ever charged, but he was known. I don't think actually. Yeah, I don't. I you know during all the research that I was doing for this, I don't think he was ever looked upon as an actual like pedophile or he was i mean he was never charged with anything <clears throat> of any sexual misconduct with a minor but he was known around the city or area or town as somebody who fancied young girls um so in the 1987 trial bishop was initially tried for the rape and the murder of the two girls in 1987 at Lewes crown court he was acquitted by the jury after two hours of deliberations which doesn't really seem like a long time but attributed to a series of blunders in the prosecution's case. The pathologist and forensic, forensic investigation team failed to record the temperatures of the bodies and therefore could not accurately state a time of death, another human error that can really fuck up a case. At the trial, the prosecution suggested the girls were killed between 6.15pm and 6.30pm in the evening. Without scientific evidence to back up the time of the murders, the prosecution could not challenge Bishop's alibis on the right on the night of the murders. Though the girls were strangled to death, neither measurements of hand marks around their necks or fingerprints left by the strangler were taken for some weird fucking reason. 
Forensic scientists did not analyze blood discovered on Karen's underwear. A key piece of the prosecution's case rested on the recovery of a blue Pinto brand sweatshirt. The top was found close to the railway line of Musocombe Station, and police believe Bishop discarded the top after attacking and killing the girls and were confident were confident that the clothing held a cachet of forensic clues. The police, did, the police did not properly preserve the evidence allowing Bishop's defense team to cast doubt on the reliability of the material. Under questioning, Bishop denied that the sweatshirt belonged to him anyways, but his girlfriend, Jenny Johnson, and alleged the clothing was Bishop's. Prosecution hoped this would undermine Bishop's credibility and portray him as a liar who was trying to distance himself from a crucial piece of evidence. But at the trial, Johnson changed her story, telling the jury she had never seen the top before. The judge, the judge Justice um, Sheeman, <laughs> Shyman, Shaman. I, I want to say Shyman. It's S S C H I E M A N. Shaman directed the jury that unless they were sure first that the girls were dead by 6.30 p.m., they should acquit. The prosecution believed that the girls were killed between 5.15 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. However, witnesses stated they saw the girls alive at 6.30 p.m. and Bishop leaving Wild Park at 6.30 p.m. Bishop was convicted in December of 1990 of a similar attack on another Brighton girl, and he was found guilty of the kidnapping and attempted murder of a seven-year-old girl in White Hawk 10 months earlier and was sentenced to at least 14 years before eligible for release, and he was turned down twice by the parole board. So, as we progress further, we're going to learn about what actually happened to open up the case and actually charge the person who was responsible for the murders. So, in 2005, a repeal of the Double Jeopardy provisions of the Criminal Justice Act of 2003 meant Bishop could face a fresh trial if substantial new evidence, um, if substantial new evidence was found. Eurofins for Forensic Services was engaged, the same forensics team that helped bring the killers of Stephen Lawrence to justice. I have no idea who Stephen Lawrence Justice is. I may do an episode about him then because I have no idea. So Stephen Lawrence was a black British teenager from Plumstead, southeast of London, who was murdered in a racially motivated attack while waiting for a bus in Well Hall, Eltham, Eltham, on the evening of the 22nd of April of 1993. Wow, I never knew about that. So yeah, I might actually do an episode about that. So senior scientific, scientific advisor Roy Green at Eurofins was asked in August of 2012 to re-examine the evidence and recover and recovered a billion to one DNA match linking Bishop to the discarded sweatshirt. A taping from Karen's left forearm was also found to contain Bishop's DNA. On May 10th, 2016, a suspect was arrested for the murders. In December of 2017, the court of appeal ordered quashing the 1987 acquittals and called for a secondary, a second jury trial for Bishop. On February 2nd of 2018, the prosecution announced that Bishop would be tried for the murders at the Old Bailey, and in May of 2016, was removed from his cell at Franklin Prison in County Durham, and taken to the local police station where he was arrested for the murders of Karen and Nicola. The trial would be scheduled for the 15th of October of 2018. Prosecutor Brian Altman 
QC told the jury the case against Bishop was not just based on his attempt to similarly kill another child, but on other compelling evidence. He explained significant part of the inquiry had been to reevaluate various areas of scientific work that were performed for the purposes of the 1987 trial, but through the lens of modern day techniques, DNA profiling, which although available in 1986 and 1987, was then in its infancy. Bishop suggested that Nicola's father, Barry, was to blame, telling the jury that the police spent 32 years building a case against the wrong man. I'm that wrong man, Bishop said. Bishop was not in court every day for his nine-week trial and complained to the judge about feeling suicidal over his temporary stay at Belmarsh, requesting he return to Franklin. At the 2018 trial, the prosecution put forward a different timeline. Altman presented evidence that the girls were indeed alive at 6.30 p.m. and that Bishop returned to Wild Park. Defense witnesses at the 1987 trial returned as prosecution witnesses in the 2018 trial. At this trial, Altman argued the forensic samples taken as tapings in 1986 were so carefully handled by the police and preserved by scientists that he could present them as a time capsule to prove Bishop's guilt. So on, on December 10th, of 2018, after a nine-week trial at the Central Criminal Court, or Old Bailey, a jury of seven men and five women returned a guilty verdict after two and a half hours of deliberation against Bishop, Russell Bishop. And finally, the parents and family of both Karen, of both Karen and Nicola were finally put to rest so they could have some closure as to who actually murdered their two daughters. Now, that sucks because that, that so that's the first case that we have. And um, I can't imagine being put through anything of, of that sort. It's just fucking sad uh, to have to bury your child because no parent should have to bury their child. Uh, but it's a scary world we live in and I don't think it'll ever stop, which is why we just have to be, you know, very cautious of the people we surround ourselves with Especially with a recent uh, case that happened, uh, Bianca Devins, that's pretty fucked up too. Yeah, not, not, I'm not saying that one murder is worse than the other. I'm just saying that that has to suck a little bit even more. It has to be a little bit more of a harder blow to take because um, having your daughter's just mutilated corpse being plastered like that all over the internet and then for other people to just start you know, making memes out of it, that has to be a lot more worse too. So I hope that they, I don't know, I guess I hope that they are strong and they're able to not let it get to them, but I, I can't imagine it not getting to them. So let's move on to the next case. So this next case is known as the Brian David Smith murders or the murders of what is their name? So the murders of Haley Kiefer and Nicholas Brady. Now, the reason why I decided to do this case is because it's an interesting case. Um, it did spark debate um, when it occurred back in 2012. And it, it kind of, the debate that was had was that, now I understand where both sides come from. I don't really have a side. I do think that, um, I'll just give my opinion later. But anyways, let's get into the case. Um, so the Brian David Smith killings occurred on Thanksgiving Day 
back in 2012 when Haley Kiefer, who was 18, and her cousin Nicholas Brady, 17, broke into the home of Brian David Smith, who was 64 years old in Little Falls, Minnesota. And Smith was armed with a Ruger Mini 14 and shot the teen separately and minutes apart as they entered the basement where he was lying in wait. Later stating to police he was worried about them being armed. Now, the weird thing about this case is that not only did that occur, but for some reason, Brian David Smith decided to record the audio. I don't know if it's actually a video of him doing it. All there is is just audio of the thing. So you're going to be hearing the audio of it. So I'm going to be warning you that if you're uncomfortable with hearing the sound of people dying, because you don't see them, this is just a podcast, but if you are uncomfortable with hearing the sound of people dying, the first one to be killed is actually um, Nicholas Brady. His is not that hard. Um, His is just kind of like, oh God, and you just hear the gunshots. Um, The one that's actually a little bit more intense would be Haley's because you can hear her pleading with her life. And that one is the one that probably gets more people who are not used to this type of audio or video if you've ever seen it. But if you're a fucking fucked up individual like myself who sees constant videos of people dying, then you'll be, it's just like a walk in the park for you. But anyways, let's get into some more of the information about the case before I play the audio. The case sparked debate, like I said, over the Castle Doctrine, which was basically saying that if a person breaks into your home and you are legally armed and you have your papers and everything works out fine, peachy keen, you are allowed to use lethal force to defend your home. The prosecution alleged that Smith's actions showed aspects of premeditation while because he was laying, he was lying in wait. He was sitting in an armchair in his basement where they happened to walk down. And he used excessive force in relation to the threat, and he was convicted, okay? And he was actually sentenced to life in prison because the jury felt it was actually premeditated, therefore it was murder and not actually him just defending his home, which is why I said it sparked debate because there are people who are on one side saying that if those kids would have never broken into his home, they would still be alive today, which technically is true. But I mean, we've all done stupid things when we were kids, maybe not as far as breaking into a home. But, I mean, I've stolen a fair share of things um, from stores and stuff, what have you, whatnot. Does that mean I am I should be shot for it? No. But then again, it's, it's, it's see what I'm saying? It's a thin line between breaking into somebody's home. But then again, I just think he was a deranged man. And once you hear the audio, I know you're probably screaming at your car radio, like, shut up and just play the audio, damn it. But we'll get to it. So Smith was 64 and was retired from the U.S. State Department and had a history of international travel to Moscow, Bangkok, and Beijing. No one knows why, but that's where he liked to travel. Maybe it has to do with the sex trafficking in Bangkok and Beijing. Oh, you stop it. Anyways, Smith's brother described him as a retired security engineering officer. Brian Smith claimed at the trial that prior to the murders, he had been burglarized at least half a dozen times over the preceding few months. He had only reported one previous burglary to police, and investigators only found evidence of two previous burglars, one of which occurred in his detached garage, of which he didn't even know um, that it even happened, that he was actually robbed in his detached garage. Among the items stolen were $4,000 in cash, his father's POW watch, um, that sucks. I wonder if his that watch was up his butt. If you know that reference, then ooh, give give me a like. Just tell me, hey, I I I know that reference. 
again, it was his father's POW watch, which he probably, his friend probably brought to him up his butt. Uh, coins from a collection and a chainsaw. And Smith began routinely wearing a holster with a loaded gun inside his home, as well as stashing bottles of water and granola bars in his basement. There is some evidence that Kiefer and Braided committee, committed committee. <laughs> There's some evidence that Kiefer and Brady committed the previous break-ins and Brady was being investigated for prior burglaries, including one earlier on the day they were killed. Uh, Smith installed a security system to protect himself. So on November 22nd of 2012, on Thanksgiving Day, nonetheless, Smith drove his vehicle down the road, parking it in front of a neighbor's home. Later that day, Kiefer and Brady, or Kiefer and Brady broke into Smith's home. Video surveillance captured the teens causing the property, casing the property prior to the break-in. By his own account to police, Smith had been visiting neighbors when he saw Kiefer or Kiefer. I don't really know how to say her last name because it's spelled K-I-F-E-R. I'm just going to say Kiefer because that sounds better. Kiefer sounds stupid. But watch, well, knowing my ass, it's Kiefer. Sorry if I'm insulting the family. But anyways, <laughs> who suspected was responsible for the previous burglaries? Driving towards his home. Smith then com commented that he needed to get ready for her and went back to his home. Upon entering his home, Smith turned on a recording device he owned. He removed the light bulbs from the ceiling lights and positioned himself in an armchair that was obscured from view. He heard the window upstairs break and Brady climbed in, which was captured all on audio. You can hear, you can hear everything on audio, which I'm going to be playing. I'm just giving you the setup because if I was to just play the audio, you'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Smith then waited in silence in his armchair for 12 minutes until Brady began to make his way into the basement. Smith then shot Brady twice on the stairs and once in the head after he fell to the bottom of the basement stairs. Smith then made taunting remarks to Brady's body, wrapped it in a tarp, and dragged him into another room. He went upstairs, and 10, 15, 10 to 15 minutes later, he ran back down into the basement reloaded his mini Ruger 14 and took up his previous position in the upscared armchair, obscured armchair. Minutes later, Kiefer entered the home and could be heard calling her cousin's name. As she made her way down the stairs of the basement, Smith shot her and she was wounded and she fell down the basement stairs and can be heard on the recording screaming, I'm sorry. And Oh God, Smith shot her again multiple times in the torso and once next to her left eye with a high standard double nine convertible 22 caliber single action revolver. So he was pretty much like a wild west man in a way. He repeatedly called her derogatory names and then dragged her into the other room, tossing her body on top of her cousin Brady and shot her one final time under the chin, killing her. Audio and video of the events were recorded by Smith Security Systems. So there is video, but I have not found any of the video surveillance um, through my research and finding information about this actual case. Um, the only thing that is available to the public is the audio, which you will be hearing after I give you all the information that I have of this case. The deaths were not immediately reported to the police, however. Smith waited until the next day to notify police of the shootings, which is a big no-no. Um, you are... Or that I'm aware of in the these type of um like stand your ground or the castle doctrine, you are supposed to immediately report the incident to the police after because otherwise it just looks bad. It looks like murder. Claiming he didn't want to bother po the police on Thanksgiving, Morrison County Sheriff 
Michael Witzel. <laughs> Michael Witzel has acknowledged that Brady and Kiefer were there to burglarize Smith's residence. Brady's sister claimed Brady stole drugs from her home on August of twenty on August twenty eighth, a case that was still under investigation at the time of Brady's killing. Evidence recovered from the car driven by Brady was linked to a burglary of burglary of the residence of a retired teacher the night before he and Keith Kiefer were killed by Smith. Smith's statements to police described delivering killing shots to the heads of both victims after he had shot them on the stairs and they had fallen, wounded, to the basement floor. In his statement, Smith said that Kiefer had let out a short laugh after she fell down the stairs, saying, if you're trying to shoot somebody and they laugh at you, you go again. The audio tape did not record Kiefer laughing, however. Instead, she cries only, oh God, in fear. In police interviews, Smith acknowledged firing more shots than I needed to, and that he fired a good, clean, finishing shot into Kiefer's head, or Kiefer's head. So, as we move on to after they found, um, so to the Castle Doctrine debate is what I'm referring to, actually. I just kind of got, I had a brain fart. I didn't really know where I was at in my reading of the script. Um, so, legal analysts have stated that the initial shootings most likely would have been justified under Minnesota's laws, but the subsequent shots were not justified once any threat had been removed. So in other words, um, just one shot would have been fine if he'd still proved, if the person deemed was not a threat any longer. So just that one initial shot to the first Brady would have been fine because I imagine unless she had a weapon, Kiefer probably would have not been any type of threat to Brian David Smith at all. So that's what they're trying to explain. Sheriff Wetzel said that the law doesn't permit you to execute somebody once a threat is gone. Hamlin University School of Law professor Joseph Olson said, I think the first shot is justified. After the person is no longer a threat because they're seriously wounded, the application of self-defense is over. A number of aspects of the case were noted by police as being inconsistent with self-defense. See, here's what they're pertaining to. Smith had moved his truck earlier in the day claiming he had done so in order to clean his garage. Prosecutors argued, however, at his trial that it was an attempt to make the house look abandoned in order to lure the burglars into his home. So in other words, it was considered entrapment. In addition to his home surveillance system, Smith also recorded at least six hours of audio on a digital recorder in the basement of the residence. Prior to the break-in, he has he heard saying, in your left eye. Now remember... She, he shot Kiefer in her left eye. Well, next to her left eye. Left eye. And I realize I don't have an appointment, but I would like to see one of the lawyers here. The prosecution noted that Kiefer was later shot in the left eye by Smith and alleged that the other statement is a rehearsal of what he would say after the shooting. An indication that he knew he would soon need an attorney. Following the shooting, Smith made a number of statements, including, I am not a bleeding heart liberal. I felt like I was cleaning up a mess. Not like spilled food, not like vomit, not even like, not even like diarrhea, the worst mess possible. And I was stuck with it. In some tiny little respect, I was doing my civic duty. If the law enforcement system couldn't handle it, I had to do it. I had to do it. The law system couldn't handle her, and it fell into my lap, and she dropped her problem in my lap. And she threw her own problem in my face, and I had to clean it up. This was Smith talking, which I believe is in the audio that I found I'm not too sure. Um, Smith's recorded statements, the evidence indicating he had planned the shootings along with the excessive number of shots fired, 
led to Smith being charged with second-degree murder. Smith was initially charged with two counts of second-degree murder. However, back in April of 2013, he was in, indicted on two counts of first-degree murder. Bail was later set at $50,000, which Smith posted, so he had some money. Hamline Law Professor Ermitus Joseph Daly commented that the laws surrounding the case were dividing the Little Falls community. In some states, somebody breaks into your home, you are allowed to shoot them dead, period, said Daly. He pointed out other states, such as Florida, have a standard ground law, but Minnesota has what's known as a reasonable person doctrine. If a reasonable person would see if you are in fear of great bodily harm of death, that's our statute. It comes down to what would a reasonable person reasonable person see in this situation for Mr. Smith, said Daly. So what do you think would be reasonable? After hearing the audio, do you think, um, well, I mean, you haven't heard it yet, but you're going to hear it, but I pose the question to you. When you hear the audio, do you feel he was justified or do you feel it was excessive force? So on April of 29th, 2014, Brian David Smith was found guilty on two counts of first degree murder with premeditation on, on two counts of second degree murder after three hours of jury deliberations. He was immediately sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The audio recordings were named by the jurors as the biggest influence on their decision. That was the most damning piece of evidence in my mind stated Wes Helstead, one of 12 jurors, said following the trial. That audio recording of the actual killings and the audio recording of Mr. Smith's interview immediately after his arrest pretty much convinced me that we were dealing with a deranged individual. Under Minnesota state statute, reasonable force may be used upon or toward the person of another without the other's consent when the following circumstances exist or the actor reasonably believes them to exist. When used by any person in lawful possession of real or personal property and resisting unlawful interference with such property. Another state statute states, the intentional taking of the life of another is not authorized except when necessary in resisting or preventing an offense which the actor reasonably believes exposes the actor or another to great bodily harm or death or preventing the commission of a felony in the actor's place of abode. According to, the, uh, to another state statute, a criminal child's in criminal trials, I sounded like I said child. In criminal trials, the court shall decide questions of law except in cases of criminal def defamation, and the jury shall decide questions of fact. So now let's get to the audio, and I want you to decide for yourself after hearing the audio and hearing what went on. Do you believe Brian David Smith was justified in doing what he did, or was it pre was it just plain up fucking murder? Well, you decide. Let's go to the audio. Sorry about that.
die. <laughs> Bitch. She was a real pro. I feel a little bit safer. Not totally safe. I'm still shaking a bit, but a little bit safer. I refuse to live in fear. I am not a bleeding heart, I promise. I felt like I was cleaning up a mess. Um, so if you were kind of confused towards the end of what he was talking about, it did sound like the simple, just the ramblings of a madman. Um, but towards the end, when the audio just cuts off, the last thing he says is, I will not live in fear. 
I was surprised he didn't shout, I am the law. But apparently what he was basically going over in his head was his justification for why he had to kill them. Which is because supposedly he believed that um, if they get prosecuted after simply just wounding them, they'd obviously probably go to jail or whatever. But then they would get out of jail, you know, and then they would probably want revenge on him. And so he didn't want to constantly live in fear of knowing that they were probably going to want to seek some type of like revenge against him for what he did to them. So he thought it was, you know, best decision to just end their life. Now, the debate about it was that, you know, is he justified? Obviously, a jury found him not justified in his actions. I'm not saying that I do. I don't think he... I. Here's my opinion on it now. I don't think he was justified in any means. Had he had just simply shot um, Brady, maybe that would have just ended it all there. Um, because I'm pretty sure Kiefer, um would have just simply been scared and just wanted to get her cousin out of there and just get on with their life. And I imagine if Haley would have just seen what had happened and he had just said, hey, you know, put your hands up. You're, you know, I'm going to call the police. I'm pretty sure she would have listened, you know. I don't imagine she had any type of weapon on her, nor would she probably, you know, sure she was not a good person. She wasn't a saint, neither was Nicholas, but I don't think it was justified to kill them. Simply just shooting them to incapacitate, oh my God, incapacitate Nicholas Brady would have just been fine. And I'm sure he would have been out free for, you know, you know, but now he's spending the rest, Brian David spending the rest of his life in jail for murder. So it seems kind of, you know, ironic that, you know, the tables turn like that. But I do think that um, now, see, this is where the hard part comes in for me, because I think had they just not been those type of people that broke into houses, they still would have been alive today. But I don't know. I just it see that's I'm kind of conflicted with myself on that because they still would have been alive had they not did what they did, you know, if they weren't bad people. You know, because let's face it, they weren't good people. The reason why they got into the situation was because they were bad and they broke into a person's house, broke into the wrong person's house, I guess. Um, but yeah, um, I don't think he was justified at all in doing what he did. Simply, if he would have just one shot and that was it, incapacitated him, I think it would have been fine. But he said he felt, you know, like, but it just seems like simply like he was just going on a tangent for a good second. But in the audio, if, um, after he shoots Haley and um, he says bitch, after he says bitch, he then takes her body um, and puts it on top of Nicholas' dead body. And he shoots her in the torso. And then he gives her one, after he says bitch, actually, he gives her one final fatal shot um, under her chin. So that's the last shot you hear was him shooting her under her chin. So yeah, that's pretty sad. But, you know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Other than if they would have not been broken into the wrong house, you know, they'd probably still be alive today, but it doesn't give them the right to be judge, jury, and executioner. But this is the life we live in. There's been many accounts of um, incidents like this where the standard ground law or the castle doctrine, if you will. So yeah, I guess... For Brian David Smith, we won't ever really truly know. Unfortunately, I was gonna I was gonna do a third case, and it was gonna be of Amelia Dyer, but I want to use her for the next episode. 
um, because Amelia Elizabeth Dyer was a prolific serial killer in history. Um, she mainly murdered infants, and that's all I'm going to give you on her. But I'm going to do hers with another episode where it's going to be simply all about, um, you know, it's not women serial killers because I've already done that, female serial killers before. It's just simply women who kill children. Because for some reason, you dames don't like to kill uh, men a lot too much. Um, you guys like to kill um, babies for some reason. There's been a long line of history of women murdering children. But then again, at least you murder them fucking men like to fuck them which is fucking weird but um yeah let's <laughs> went really dark right there but let's i'm gonna save her because that's what was gonna be the bonus case was amelia dyer so amelia elizabeth dyer and she was around um 1837 to 1896 um her murdering spree happened between i don't know exactly i want to say 1848 to 1896 but I will include her in another episode along with other females who killed children. I would, that episode is going to be titled Women Killing Babies or Child Killers is probably what I'm going to be calling it. I don't, I'm going to work on the title. You'll know. So, uh, yeah. Uh, to keep up to date when that episode is actually going to drop and if it actually drops on the day that I intend, the episode is not going to be dropping next week. What episode is going to be coming is another This Week in Crime. So if you're not familiar with what This Week in Crime is, especially for your new followers... It is where I bring you strange, weird, or fucked up news from around the world or right here in good old America. So if you're not already and you're listening to this episode, please subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you get your podcasts from, whatever podcast platform you use. Um, but a big thank you to listening to this episode of Strange Talk Podcast because without you, the listener, Strange Talk Podcast would not be where it is today. But having said that, feel free to follow me on Instagram at Strange Talk Podcast. Or if you have an idea for an episode or you simply want to send a case my way or something, a news, a funny or weird news article that you found and you want to send it to me, you can do so via Instagram. Just send me a DM at Strange Talk Podcast or you can do so the old school way via email at Strange Talk Podcast at Outlook.com. Again, what's that email? It's Strange Talk Podcast at Outlook.com. So thank you for listening to this episode again and as always stay strange